All right, church, would you pray with me now as we uh, jump into the word together? God, we are so thankful for um, God for your word. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we can gather together uh, through this technology this morning and study your word. God, hear uh, what you have for us, the message that you want us to hear from uh, this story of the birth of John the Baptist. So, uh, God, we pray that you would speak to us. God, that you would speak uh, loud and clear. God, that we would have uh, ears and, and hearts that are ready to receive what you have for us today. So, God, help us to uh, God, help us to understand with our with our intellect what it is that uh, is going on in these verses. But God, more importantly, help us to understand with our heart, God, with, with the guts of who we are. Uh, God, help us to understand uh, what it is that you want from us, what it looks like to, uh, to, to live in faith in the way that uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth did. And God, help us to uh, not just be people who hear and understand what your Bible says, but God, people who put it to practice, uh, who who put it uh, into work in our life. So God, we pray that you would speak to us this morning and that we would hear it and that we would obey. Uh, God, we give this time to you and we ask that you would work and that you would move. And it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray now. Amen. Well, guys, just a, a reminder for you, maybe you've missed the last couple of weeks. Uh, if you have, I'd encourage you to go back and watch those. Uh, there's some good stuff in there. But uh, just as a review, if you uh, forgot where we're at, uh, Gabriel has been uh, making the rounds. Uh, Gabriel visited uh, Zechariah in uh, Luke chapter 1, where we've been studying through, and he uh, told Zechariah that he and Elizabeth were going to have a baby, even in their old age. Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth were going to conceive and have a baby, and this baby was not just going to be uh, any baby. It wasn't just going to be a, a normal son. It was going to be uh, a prophet. Uh, their son was going to be special. John the Baptist, uh, that we're going to look at his birth story today, was coming. And he was coming because God worked supernaturally in the life of uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah, who had been barren up to this point and were now old and past the years of, of childbearing. So uh, we saw that awesome story. And then uh, just a week later, we saw that same uh, angel, Gabriel, visit a young girl, a virgin named Mary, and told her that God was going to work supernaturally in her life as well, that God was going to give her a child as well. And that child was going to be uh, the promised one from God. He was going to be the Messiah who would come and save his people uh, from the bondage that they were in. And uh, Mary didn't totally understand that, but she was obedient and she was willing uh, to do whatever it is that God called her to do, whatever it is that God wanted her to do. So uh, we've seen these stories about how Gabriel has announced to Zechariah and Elizabeth and to Mary that God is supernaturally sending babies to them. We also saw a couple of weeks ago uh, the story of uh, Mary and Elizabeth getting together and, and living in this community where they were able to uh, mutually encourage one another. Mary went to uh, visit Elizabeth, and uh, during that time that they were spending together, they were uh, they, they were able to talk about what God was doing. They were able to uh, certainly pray together and encourage one another and challenge one another and share uh, some of the just the incredible ways that God was working in their life. And uh, that story reminded us so much of how important it is for us to to be in community like that as well. For us to have people who uh, are uh, walking alongside of us that we can uh, encourage, that we can challenge, that we can be challenged by, that 
that we can walk through life with. And uh, the church is such a great way uh, that we can do that, that we can find that fellowship in that community. But uh, we just saw it so clearly with Mary and Elizabeth. And now this week we get to look at the story. The first of those two children is about to be born. So uh, we're going to look at Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 57 through 66 this week. Uh, We're going to look at verses 57 through 66. So uh, as we jump into that, there's a couple of things I want to point out. Uh, The first one is that uh, in verse 56, uh, it talks about at the end of that story, at the end of that time where uh, Mary spent with Elizabeth, it talks about how uh, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months and then returned to her home. So uh, different scholars will speculate on Uh, whether or not Mary stayed for three months and then went home uh, right before uh, John the Baptist was born, because we don't see Mary mentioned anywhere in this story of uh, John the Baptist being born. But uh, I would argue, and I think uh, several other uh, commentators, several other smart guys would argue that uh, the fact that Mary's story kind of comes to a conclusion that Uh, The Gospel of Luke says that she stayed for three months and then she went home. I think it's likely that she stayed the three months uh, for Elizabeth to come to full term and and was there to witness uh, this incredible uh, miracle of Elizabeth giving birth to John the Baptist. So uh, we see uh, a cool story, a cool connection where Mary is able to, uh, to be around and to be a part of this and to be in Elizabeth's life. So now we're going to look at the first couple of verses of our passage this week. We're going to look at verses 57 and 58 uh, to get started, and we're going to look at John's arrival. So in verse 57, it says, Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy towards her, and they were rejoicing with her. Uh, Part of what the angel promised in Uh, verse 14 uh, of this chapter, uh, was that many people would rejoice at the birth of this son, John. And verse 58 is the first fulfillment of that. It's the first, it's a partial fulfillment of that promise that uh, that this birth, that uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth were going to give birth to this young man uh, named John. Uh, There was reason to celebrate. There was joy. Uh, It was an incredible scene. If you imagine with me for a minute what this scene must have looked like, there was uh, this old woman uh, well past the years of childbearing uh, who had suffered uh, the, the, the reproach and the difficulty and the frustration throughout her life of wanting a child. Uh, the, the earlier passages told us that uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they, they wanted that child, but uh, they hadn't been able to have it. And so now, after suffering for all these years, this moment of joy has finally arrived. Uh, they knew that God had told them they were going to have a son. They believed in faith that they were going to have a son. But, uh, man, there's something special about seeing it actually happen. And so now we're at the the moment where Elizabeth finally uh, gives birth to this son. And what no one had previously thought would happen uh, is finally happening. God is uh, working supernaturally in this family's life. It also tells us in these verses that uh, neighbors and relatives were, uh, were were there as well to to witness this special thing, uh, this special uh, occasion in their life. Uh, but their neighbors and relatives had probably given up too. Their hopes for uh, Elizabeth had probably faded long ago, and uh, 
uh, as we are here now witnessing uh, this moment where it says that she gave birth to a son, uh, everyone erupts in in rejoicing in celebration. This is a a reason that uh, they can celebrate. And one important thing that I want to point out that the neighbors and the relatives and even uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth probably realized is uh, the way that this was not just a normal circumstance. This was not just a a normal birth that was maybe uh, cool, but not anything supernatural. This was a supernatural uh, event. And it says in verse 58 that the, Nele- the, the neighbors and the relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy towards her, and they rejoiced with her. This was no regular circumstance because God was at work in the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth and baby John. Uh, He was showing part of his character in the way that he uh, interacted and dealt with uh, this family. He was was showing mercy towards them. Uh, Mercy means a couple of different things when God uh, interacts in the story of history and interacts in humans' life and shows mercy. Uh, The first way that God shows mercy is when uh, he punishes us less than what we deserve for our sins. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the passage. But uh, God can show us mercy by uh, not punishing us in the way that we deserve. But he also shows mercy in uh, relieving the the pain and the suffering that people are experiencing. Uh, He shows mercy in uh, ways that he is is gracious and, and, and relieves Uh, the things that have been so burdensome uh, in people's lives. And this uh, is a perfect example of that, as uh, Elizabeth has carried this weight for uh, the entirety of her life, that she has uh, wanted a child and has been uh, unable to bear one up to this point. Uh, But in this moment, uh, God finally uh, relieves her of that burden. He finally relieves her of that suffering. And uh, Elizabeth experiences this incredible burden being lifted off of her as God shows, as it says in verse 58, displays his great mercy towards her. Uh, it's such an incredible, it's, it's an awesome picture uh, that reminds us that God works in the lives of the people that follow him, that God is merciful and gracious and, and kind to uh, those of us that belong to him. And uh, Elizabeth experienced that firsthand as God poured out his uh, just uh, loving kindness and, and mercy and relieving her of that burden that she had been carrying. We also see uh, just a, a bursting forth of joy. Uh, Joy is one of the key uh, themes that we're going to see throughout this Gospel of Luke. We see uh, the joy that occurs when God works in the lives of people. And uh, we see it in a lot of different places, but uh, it shows up really clearly in these stories of Elizabeth and Mary as these babies are being born. Joy is always uh, a uh, an overwhelming emotion as uh, families welcome a new child, a new baby into the family. Uh, I can remember with each and every one of my four kids, uh, just this overwhelming sense of emotion and joy was a big part of that. There was also uh, a little bit of fear mixed in. There was also just a, an overwhelming sense of love uh, for my kids when I was able to meet each of them for the first time. But uh, this joy that Elizabeth and Zachariah are experiencing is uh, 
uh, not just that normal joy that uh, that people experience when uh, they have a baby. They are they are experiencing so much more than that because uh, not only have they uh, welcomed a child into the world, but this is a child that they never thought they would have. Uh, this is a child that God has promised is going to be uh, supernaturally blessed. That that the Holy Spirit is going to work in this child and through this child and mighty things are going to happen through the life of John the Baptist. So uh, we see uh, just this incredible moment of celebration that's happening as John has finally arrived. And uh, just in the same way that uh, joy was a significant emotion as Elizabeth and Zechariah and their family that was gathered together with them, uh, it, there was there was a sense of incredible joy because they acknowledged and they realized that God uh, was at work in this moment, that God was at work in Elizabeth's womb, and that God was at work in uh, this baby that was being born, uh, and the, the sense of joy that came from that. Uh, the Bible also talks about how everyone who uh, experiences the work of God in their life uh, should be uh, characterized by that joy. Uh, joy is described as a fruit of the Spirit in uh, the book of Galatians. Uh, joy is described as one of the things that if you are transformed by the work of God, if you have been uh, set free from your sin and have been given new life in Christ, uh, there is there. It's not something that we uh, work towards or that we hope we develop one day. It is a natural uh, reaction that happens in our life. We uh, bubble forth with these fruit of the spirit that Galatians talks about. That that we will be characterized by our love, by our joy, uh, by our peace, by our patience, our kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. Uh, self-control, and I think there's one more, but I'm just shooting from the hip, so I probably forgot what it was. Um, but uh, that sense of joy that uh, Elizabeth is characterized by uh, in this passage, man, that should be a part of our life too. If God has been at work in our life, uh, there are so many things that we have to be thankful for, and uh, let's not forget that. Uh, the 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 sense of joy that uh, we are supposed to have should be an identifying mark of everyone who experiences the freedom uh, of the gospel, the, the freedom that even though we are not good enough to measure up to God's standard, uh, God made a way for us to be forgiven. God has, has, has given us new life, as the Bible talks about. So uh, Mary and, uh, not Mary, Elizabeth and Zechariah are experiencing this incredible joy. And uh, we should experience that joy in the same way. Let's look now at uh, the following few verses. We're going to look at verses 59 uh, through 64. And we're going to look at this process that after the baby is born, uh, when John receives his name. So let's, let's follow along. We'll pick up in verse 59. It says, And it happened on, that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. But his mother answered and said, No, indeed, but he shall be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by that name. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows, His name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak in praise of God. So the first thing we see here is uh, this, this statement that uh, the family and friends have gathered together for uh, the baby's circumcision. Uh, 
Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth were faithful in their obedience to God. We know that from uh, the way that Zechariah is described earlier uh, in this first chapter of Luke. But on 59, it's uh, in verse 59, it says that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. God had commanded earlier in the Old Testament that all male children in Israel were supposed to be circumcised when they were eight days old. And this circumcision was, it was a physical mark that identified the nation of Israel. It identified them as participants in this special family of God. They were a part of this covenant people, and it was a sign of the covenant that God had made with Abraham years and years earlier. And it incorporated this baby, John, as they're about to name him, into the family of the the, the people of God. And we see that command uh, given in Genesis chapter 17, if you want to go back and, and look at uh, where that uh, command came from. Uh, apparently, uh, we see from, from the story here that uh, Jewish families at the time of Christ, when, when Jesus was born and when John the Baptist was being born, uh, we see that they uh, held this ceremony, this celebration of circumcising the baby in the home with family and friends. And so as they gather together, as they do all of this, they are uh, fulfilling in this baby uh, that, that that they are blessing him and, and giving him this uh, rite of passage that uh, would ultimately prepare John to be uh, the person that he was supposed to be later on in life. Uh, this uh, rite that they were uh, doing with with the baby uh, gave John impeccable Jewish credentials that he would be able to uh, to go into uh, temples that he would be able to speak with people and was not viewed as as an outsider but he was viewed with uh, the the credentials that gave him the right to speak on behalf of uh, the Messiah, that he was able to speak uh, in a way that that in the same way uh, Paul actually talks about this that uh, he was circumcised on the eighth day as he's uh, checking off a list of all the, the credentials, all of the things that God had uh, put into his life in Philippians chapter 3. Paul's talking about that for him. And that same thing is what's happening here uh, with the birth of John. So uh, we see that, that John, uh, in, in the first of many, checks the boxes of uh, as someone who uh, God is able to use and work through. Uh, we now see this process where uh, the family tries to to kind of nudge their way in and play a role that they uh, weren't necessarily supposed to play in naming the child. So uh, if we look at verse 59b through 63, uh, we see the process of how John receives his name. So uh, after they circumcise the child, uh, it says that they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. The family is uh, butting in and, and trying to uh, give this baby a name, just assuming that they knew uh, what was going to happen. Uh, Luke continues here in, in this verse. He says that they are going to call the baby uh, Zacharias after his father. And the literal sense of uh, what that means, of, of the way that it could be translated, is uh, they were already calling him uh, Zach. They, they, they had assumed this uh, miracle baby that... Uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth had been waiting for. Uh, they assumed that he was just going to be little Zach. They were going to have big Zach and little Zach, and uh, that they were going to name this baby after uh, the father, Zachariah. 
Uh, and while that may be a, a nice thought, it may be something that uh, happened a lot in other families that wasn't uh, what was going to happen with this baby. And uh, we see Elizabeth kind of kind of perk up, and, and I imagine uh, she says in her mama bear voice, no, you don't. Uh, my baby is not going to be called Zechariah because God has told us uh, that his name is to be John. So uh, the way that that uh, plays out in verse 60, uh, it says, his mother answered and said, no, indeed, he shall be called John. While it's difficult for us to really understand how big of a, a shock this probably was for uh, the family and the friends that were gathered there with them, uh, we have to realize, we have to acknowledge that uh, children in that day, uh, they were almost always named after someone in the family. They were named after dad. They were named after mom. They were named after grandpa or, or uh, uncle so-and-so. They were always named after somebody. And this uh, double <laughs> vehement disagreement with uh, the fact that the family and friends were trying to call him, call the baby Zechariah, uh, just affirms that, that there was a, it, it must have been a, a shocking moment for those family and friends who were gathered around, who, who thought they knew what was happening and uh, thought they knew what the baby's name was going to be. But uh, what that uh, group, that the family and friends didn't know was that God had already named this baby. Uh, God had already told Zechariah that his name was going to be John, and uh, sometimes there, there's uh, there's there's historical precedent where uh, naming someone, naming something, uh, was associated with dominion or rule. It was associated with authority, and uh, one of the cool little tidbits as I was reading it and studying all of this stuff this week was. Uh, someone pointed out that uh, the fact that God named this child instead of the family, instead of Zechariah and Elizabeth, it points to the fact that John's life it was going to be identified as someone who lived under God's rule, not under man's rule. Uh, his identity was, was associated with his relationship with God, not his family ties to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And so as they, uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah, put their foot down and said that uh, his name will be John and, and uh, acknowledged the fact that, uh, no, no, th this isn't our child. Uh, while God has given him to us and, and we uh, celebrate uh, the fact that God has given him to us, He's not ours uh, because God has work to be done in this child's life. And so even in the fact that they chose to name uh, the baby John in obedience to what God had said, instead of naming him after someone in the family, naming him after Zechariah, uh, we just see uh, such a clear picture of the fact that uh, God is at work in this child's life. And uh, what could not be explained by uh, naming the child after mom and dad, his identity was not in being the son of Zechariah. It was being uh, the one that was sent by God, the one that was supernaturally called to uh, a supernatural work that uh, God was going to use John to go and to prepare the way for his son, uh, Jesus, the Messiah. Uh, who is going to come and save uh, these people from their sins. Uh, we also see in these verses, Zechariah's silence is finally broken. 
So in verse 64, uh, Zechariah speaks for the first time in nine months since uh, he had responded to uh, the angel with doubt when uh, Gabriel came and told him uh, that they were going to have a child. Uh, Zechariah had been mute. He had been unable to speak for this nine months that uh, Elizabeth was pregnant. And now in verse 64, we finally see uh, his first opportunity to speak again. Verse 64, it says, At once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak in praise of God. Zechariah's original disbelief had cost him uh, this nine months where he was uh, forced to to sit in silence and consider and, and ponder and uh, grow through uh, this season of difficulty because he had failed to, to trust and to obey what God had said uh, all those months earlier. Uh, but as we look at these words, as we look at Zechariah's response and the way that he uh, stood firmly against his family and friends who were trying to name the baby uh, Zechariah, as we see uh, in his first words, as it says that he began to speak uh, in praise of God, uh, we see that, that Zechariah's faith was strengthened during this time, during this season of difficulty. I can only imagine uh, not being able to speak for nine months. I'm I'm comfortable with sitting in silence for a little while. I like uh, some peace and quiet. It doesn't happen a whole lot around our house right now uh, with everybody all locked in uh, the house together. But uh, I do enjoy uh, silence and, and quiet sometimes. But that nine months is a long time. Uh, nine months is an incredibly long season for Zechariah to have been mute and, and most likely deaf as well that we uh, can kind of deduce from the way that it says that they made signs to Zechariah. It's likely that he couldn't hear or speak, uh, that he lived in silence for these nine months. And uh, this season of, of testing, this season of adversity that he was living through, uh, it had created a, a strengthening effect in his faith. Uh, Zechariah's faith produced obedience in the fact that that, that over the course of this nine months, as God had been working in his heart and working to, to strengthen Zechariah's faith, uh, he had no doubt. While, while he went into that silence with doubt because he uh, questioned the words of Gabriel, uh, he came out of it with, with no doubt. He came out of it with a strong faith that said, no, uh, this son is from God. His name will be John. And he comes out of it uh, praising and declaring how great God is. Uh, Zechariah's initial words, if, if I can just try to put myself in his shoes and imagine what he was going through, what he was experiencing uh, during this season of silence, and, and even the emotions of uh, seeing this son that he never anticipated would be born. Uh, he had lived a long life and never thought he would have a son. And uh, I can only imagine all of the, the emotions, all of the joy, all of the things that he wanted to, to say, all of the, uh, the, the, the feelings that he had about this new son. Uh, but when he finally is allowed to speak, when he finally opens his mouth and words come out, uh, what's the first thing that he does? It's, it's not talking about his son. It's not uh, fussing at his relatives saying, no, you guys don't get to name him. We're going to name him. What he does is is he's, it's an explosion of praise, of, of celebrating who God is and, and how awesome God has been to him. Uh, there's, there, there's been this bottling up for nine months, 
And I can only imagine if you tried to bottle anything up for that period of time, for that, that, that amount of stuff that was going on inside of Zechariah, he just burst forth with, uh, with praise about how great and powerful and awesome and faithful and, and mighty and loving and God had been so good to him. And all of that bottled up joy and everything that he had experienced during that nine months comes just flying out in uh, loud and probably emotional praise uh, for God. Zechariah, in all of that silence that he had lived in, he put that season of affliction, he put that season of difficulty to good use. Uh, He didn't waste that time sitting around with his arms crossed, uh, pouting and, and moping about how it was unfair, about how God had had misunderstood him, making excuses for uh, why he shouldn't have been uh, struck uh, mute. Uh, but uh, J.C. Ryle, uh, a, a theologian, put it really well. I, I want to read this for you guys. He says uh, that he, Zechariah, uh, shows that his nine months of dumbness had not been inflicted on him in vain. He is no longer faithless, but believing. He now believes that every word that Gabriel had spoken to him and every word of his message shall be obeyed. That trial, uh, the the trial that humbles us, uh, the trial that that puts us back in our rightful place as uh, secondary to to, to what God wants to do in our life, uh, it is a blessing. It is a a flat-out, downright uh, net gain. It's a net positive in our life, no matter how difficult the problem is that you may be facing, whether it's now, uh, whether it's a season of difficulty that you've gone through in the past, whatever trial it is that comes up in our life, uh, we have the opportunity to uh, to cross our arms and to pout and to mope about how uh, life's not fair, or we have the opportunity to uh, like Zechariah did, allow it to make us stronger, allow it to uh, to strengthen our faith. Uh, Zechariah, in his time of affliction, uh, he, he, he doesn't turn his back on God. He turns towards God. And uh, somebody years ago, I, I heard it said, our sufferings, our afflictions, they'll either make us bitter or they'll make us better. Uh, Zechariah's affliction made him better. Uh, we see it in the fact that he uh, bursts forth immediately upon his uh, tongue being set loose. Uh, he bursts forth in praise of God, declaring how good God is and, and how uh, gracious God has been to him. Uh, it made Zechariah better. Uh, Zechariah had learned probably uh, more about his own heart and about God than he had ever learned before up to that point in his life. That time of silence where he was able to sit and to reflect and to to grow in his faith and in his relationship with the Lord, uh, it was an incredibly beneficial time, a beneficial season in his life. And I think that reality that we see here in Zechariah begs the question from from me and from you today, because uh, while uh, we are certainly, I don't think anyone out there listening today has been uh, struck with 
uh, with mutinous because we're, we're not able to speak because we didn't trust what God was saying to us. Uh, we certainly all go through uh, afflictions. We all go through difficulties, challenges in our life. Uh, we're all going through the same challenge right now in our life as we are uh, still locked away in our homes and uh, unable to, many of us, uh, unable to go back to work. Uh, many people uh, f- dealing with fears of uh, what happens if we get sick or uh, what could this look like? How, how is this going to impact uh, my life when, when things go back to normal, which they may not ever uh, go back to normal as we knew before. Uh, we're, we're all living with this same uh, season of difficulty. And while that may look a little bit different for each of us, uh, we are all in a place where uh, just like Zechariah did, Uh, We have an opportunity to either uh, let this affliction make us bitter uh, or it can make us better. Uh, Is is this season stirring in you thoughts of uh, God's goodness, uh, of uh, thoughts of joy, thoughts of uh, how can I grow in this? Uh, Or is it uh, stirring thoughts about uh, wanting to cross your arms and pout and, and, and being mad at God because we're having to go through this? Are you growing warmer towards God or are you growing colder and, and, and pulling away from God and, and mad at God because he allowed this to happen to our country? He allowed this to happen to the world. He allowed this to, to, to strike your life in some way, whether you have gotten sick, whether you have experienced economic hardship or some, some other crisis that has hit in your life. Are you allowing this to make you bitter or are you allowing it to make you better? I think that's a question that we all need to pause and reflect on and be able to answer as we live through this season. And as we see Zechariah being such a great model, a great example for us to look to as he experienced nine months of a difficulty. Uh, we're only two and a half months into this thing, two months, however long it's been. I, I don't know. It all blurs together at this point. Uh, but we're not long into this thing. And uh, we still have, if if we're going to be on Zechariah's timeline, uh, we still have seven months that God is able to speak to us. We still have, uh, we're not at the point in time where uh, the baby is being born and, and Zechariah's lips are being set loose. Uh, We still have opportunity to grow in this season of difficulty. Don't waste this opportunity. Uh, Don't don't allow this to make you bitter. Don't allow this to make you mad and and push you away from God. Uh, Allow it to to draw you closer and to strengthen your faith. Finally, let's look in the last couple of verses that we're going to consider today. I want to look at John's future. Uh, Verses 55 and 65, excuse me, 65 and 66 Uh, say, fear came on all those that were living around them, and all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them kept them in mind, saying, what then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. Zacharias praise that that he just uh, erupted with that he just burst forth in praise in the previous verse uh, it's it's contagious it's something that starts uh, making a difference in the the lives of those family members and those friends and those neighbors that uh, were close to the story uh, because in verse 65 it says that all the neighbors are in awe of God 
Uh, it says that they, uh, they went out from this moment talking about it, uh, that they were talking about it everywhere, that, that everyone who had heard the report of this baby's birth knew that something supernatural was happening, knew that something miraculous had happened, uh, as it says in these verses. And the people who were at uh, John's circumcision and this, this naming ceremony that we've looked at today, they knew that God was at work among them. And the fact that they could sense God's work in the life of this family, uh, it, it caused a response from them. Uh, it resulted, as we see in these verses, it resulted in ongoing spiritual conversations. Uh, all these matters, it says in verse 65, all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. Uh, what we see here in, in this reality is that uh, this this reality that God was at work, uh, it resulted in conversations that, that, that the news continued to spread of what God was doing. And I think that's, a, that's just a eminently healthy state for uh, believers to be in, that when God works in a person's life, that when God works in a situation, the most appropriate thing that we can do is is declare how awesome that is 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 to have conversations about that is to share that reality the way that God is working we should take that everywhere that we go those conversations should just come pouring out of us and uh verse 66 it also acknowledges uh, they they saw uh, this reality uh, it says that uh, what then will this child turn out to be for the hand of the lord was certainly with him uh, the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. They had a sense that that God was working, that God was doing something special in the life of this baby. Uh, what a beautiful sentence that is. The hand of the Lord was certainly at work in John, this baby. Uh, what does that look like? Uh, how can we recognize that? How can we identify that in the life of a person? Well, we see if we uh, fast forward, we're going to cheat and look at the end of next week's passage. Uh, but in Luke one eighty. Uh, it says that the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Uh, when God's hand is on our children, they grow, they, they become strong. There's, there's changes that happen in their lives, uh, not just in body, but it says that uh, even more importantly, it says that he became strong in spirit. Uh, we see uh, something similar describing Jesus as he matured at the end of Luke chapter 2. It says that he uh, grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So we see in God's maturing and in God's hand being on both John the Baptist and on Jesus the Messiah, uh, that when God's hand is at work in the life of a child, that they grow, that they mature, that they, that they grow not just physically but spiritually as well. In their spirit, they were strengthened. And that is my prayer for uh, my kids. That's my prayer for our kids, uh, church families. I, I view your kids in, in some way as my own at this point, as as we are all working in unity, working in, in unison, trying to uh, show your children what it looks like to, uh, to have a strong faith in God. Uh, to have a strong faith to be able to trust that God that no matter what happens in life, that, that we can give whatever it is to him and, and know that, that in having strong faith and knowing that we can give things to God, uh, that we can trust him with whatever comes up. And finally, I want to take just a minute 
looking at uh, these uh, verses in verse 66, where it says that all of them who had heard uh, kept in mind this question saying, what is this child going to turn out to be? Well, what they uh, didn't have is, was the answer to that question. But for us sitting here a couple thousand years later, we do have the answer to that question. And we are able to pause and to look back and to see uh, what John became, what was important uh, to this baby as, as God used him in incredible ways as he grew up and, and uh, matured in his life. Uh, what will this child turn out to be feels like an appropriate place, an appropriate uh, little launching off point for us to take just a minute and talk about this message that was so incredibly important to John, was so incredibly important in his life that that everything in his life uh, circled around this message uh, of uh, repentance, this message of salvation uh, that we see in each of the Gospels. Each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all talk about uh, John's preaching. They all talk about John's message. And uh, we see it in Matthew chapter 3. We see it in Mark chapter 1. Uh, Luke chapter 3 and John chapter 1 all show us uh, John, this baby that was born, uh, pointing people towards Jesus, the true Savior. Uh, Mark chapter 1, I, I want to read for you guys just a few verses from Mark chapter 1. Uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5 and the way that that Mark opens his gospel, that Mark opens the story of uh, telling this story of Jesus is with uh, these first five verses that talk about John's message. So uh, would you guys listen or read along if you found your way uh, to Mark chapter 1? We're going to read Mark 1 verses 1 through 5. It says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it was written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Uh, John addressed two complementary subjects very clearly. <laughs> Most of what we know about John the Baptist is uh, this message that he repeated over and over and over again as uh, thousands of people uh, were coming out to hear him preaching outside of town in the wilderness. Uh, there were two subjects that are very clear that he preached that we saw in uh, those verses from Mark 1. Uh, he talked about sin, and he talked about repentance. These are the two essential facets of the gospel that we cannot blow by, that we cannot miss. And unfortunately, so many churches in America, in our world right now in 2020, uh, refuse to talk about these things or uh, are, are shy about uh, proclaiming this message that John proclaimed so boldly. The first thing that it talks about is the reality of sin. John talked openly about the reality of sin. And if church history uh, has demonstrated anything for us, it is that uh, time and time and time again, uh, the importance of preaching about sin, uh, about the reality of what sin is and uh, what it results in in our life is something that the church has to constantly fight to come back to. Because it's something that 
it's it's uncomfortable for us. It's something that people don't like talking about. We, we don't like hearing because the reality of Scripture, of what the Bible says about sin is that I have sinned, that you have sinned, that we're not just... Uh, we're not just people who do bad things, but we are bad people. We are evil people that that when you lie, that doesn't just make you someone who told a lie that that makes you a liar that when you uh, take things that don't belong to you or, or steal time that you uh, owe to your employer or whatever that might be, that, that doesn't just make you someone who uh, skimps out of work a few minutes early. That, that makes you a thief. Uh, the Bible talks very clearly and very strongly about uh, the, the significance of sin. And uh, it also tells us that uh, sin is not just something that God can turn a blind eye to. It's something that uh, God is angered. God has uh, wrath and, and, and holy anger uh, that is deserved by our sin. Sin has to be punished. And uh, as we would, would just sit on our own, if, if God didn't intervene, uh, the fact that we sin, that we disobey God's standards of perfection, the way that he has told humanity to live, uh, I deserve uh, God's anger and God's wrath to be poured out on me. And so do you. Uh, it's the reality of every person that has ever lived on earth except for Jesus. Every single person has sinned and has deserved uh, God's anger and God's punishment. Uh, John didn't hide from that. John didn't uh, shy away from that reality. While it, it probably wasn't popular back then, it's certainly not popular that we don't hear a lot of churches and a lot of preachers talking about that reality now. Sin is a big deal. And the reason why sin is such a big deal is because without acknowledging the fact that we deserve God's wrath, that we deserve God's punishment, that we are enemies of God, the good news isn't really good news. If, if I don't know that I'm in danger, who cares if somebody came to rescue me? Because I, I, I don't know that I was in danger to start with. But the fact that uh, sin, we, we have to understand that we are sinners. You, it's so important for, for you listening today that you understand and acknowledge and realize that you are an evil person, that you are a sinner, that, that you are an enemy of God. But in that reality, in that helpless state, there's nothing that we can do to change that on our own. But when uh, John would preach this message of uh, sin and repentance, uh, the, the, the good news is that uh, even though there was some bad news that started the story, that, that started this communication of uh, the good news, that, that we are sinners, uh, it's not where it ends. Because this message of repentance that John also preached uh, is so uh, essential to, 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 to who I call myself as a person, uh, to who many of us as Christians, as believers, as people who have said, uh, God, I want to give you everything that I've got and I want you uh, to save me. I want you to be my father. I want you to be the one that my life lives to serve. That idea is is all tied up in this idea of repentance. Uh, the second thing that John pointed to, he pointed to sin, uh, but he pointed to the fact that uh, he was preaching, as it says in those verses that I just read a minute ago, he was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
Now, that doesn't mean, uh, don't, don't misunderstand that. That doesn't mean to say that baptism saves us, that there's something magical about uh, the waters of baptism that happens. But what it, what it communicates is it's, it's John's way of communicating that a uh, heart of repentance uh, always accompanies saving faith that in order for us to receive the gift of salvation, that, that, that even though we weren't good enough to meet God's standard on our own, God didn't just leave us in that. He sent Jesus. And that's the good news of why Jesus is so significant, because he sent Jesus to come and to live perfectly and to meet God's standard of perfection. And in doing that, he, he, he appeased the, the, the desires of God. He, he met the perfect law. And so when he met that perfect law, he, he deserved every good gift that God has to give everything that, that we would like to kind of think or assume that we deserve that, that God should be loving to us and that God should be kind to us. And that, that when we, when God looks at us, we put a smile on his face. We don't do that on our own as sinners, but Jesus did that when he lived perfectly. And, John's preaching of uh, we are sinners, uh, but we have to repent. It points us to the fact that we needed someone else to come and to save us. And so when Jesus uh, died on a cross, Jesus uh, paid a punishment. Jesus died, even though he didn't deserve to be punished, even though he didn't deserve to die. What he did was he paid a punishment that he didn't deserve so that I, that that me, that, that Drew Hunsley, who does deserve to be punished by God, didn't have to be. And you out there listening today, uh, you don't have to be punished. You don't have to uh, receive that anger that, that you rightly deserve because of your sin. Uh, you don't have to receive that from God because God poured it out on Jesus uh, so that Jesus's uh, love and, and, and being a son of God, all of that that, that God can put that on my account. God can put that on your account. Uh, Jesus picked up our tab for us so that we wouldn't have to. And this, this message was one that was so important to John. It, it identified John's work. John's life, in a nutshell, was uh, it revolved around this idea that, that people are sinners and that if we repent and we turn to God and we ask for forgiveness, uh, that Jesus is going to make a way for that to be forgiven. Uh, so uh, I don't know where you're at out there today. There's a lot of people listening today, and I don't know which one of these two camps you fall into. But uh, if you are uh, not a Christian, if you have not received that offer of uh, repentance from your sin, turning your back on uh, who you used to be, and receiving God's free gift of salvation. Uh, if you have experienced this morning a increased awareness of your sin, uh, if you have experienced a uh, increased fear of judgment of of uh, the things that I was saying, they're not my words. They're they're the Bible's words. They're God's words. Uh, but the Bible. Uh, says very clearly that you deserve to be punished and that I deserve to be punished. And if you have a a growing sense of of fear or worry or concern about that, uh, coupled with a desire to to turn from that, uh, coupled with a desire to allow God to to save you and to work in your life, I have great news for you. 
because God's offer of salvation is free to anyone who would receive it. And so today, if God is doing that in your heart, I'd encourage you uh, to respond to that. I would encourage you to, uh, to, to, to repent, to turn your back on uh, the, the sinful, selfish uh, way that you used to live and to give everything that you've got to God. Uh, that doesn't mean that you have to live it perfectly every moment, uh, but 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 serving God as our master is our goal. Uh, if that's you, uh, we've got uh, some some very clear steps uh, that we would encourage you to take. Uh, it's not complicated. Uh, I'd, en- I'd encourage you just right where you are uh, to to talk to God, to pray to God yourself. God's listening. And uh, if you tell him that you uh, want to be his child, that you want to accept his offer of salvation that he is freely offering to you, if, if God is stirring it and doing something in your heart, in your life this morning, I'd encourage you talk to him about it and uh, tell him, God, I want to be yours. And if you feel like you want to talk to uh, somebody, talk to a person about that uh, and have one of our church members help you through that, uh, we've got our team that would love to respond and and love to walk with you through that. Uh, You can call our church at 714-779-8546. Just press extension 2 and hopefully someone will be there uh, to pick up uh, that phone call and to chat with you and to share uh, how you can place your faith in Jesus and, and receive that gift of salvation. Be set free from that punishment that you deserve. And Christian, maybe you uh, have already made that decision. Maybe you have already received that gift of salvation. But as we were uh, talking through this passage, maybe God spoke to you a little bit differently today. Uh, I want to encourage you uh, to take steps of faith in that as well. Maybe you need to follow Zechariah's lead, like we talked about a few minutes ago, about how he let the season of adversity in his life uh, create faith in him. It it, it helped him to grow uh, supernaturally in, in his faith in a way that uh, when he went into that season of silence, uh, there were doubts and, and fears that kind of characterized his life. But by the time he came out of that season of difficulty, uh, God had done some incredible things and, and helped him to grow. If that's you, if if this uh, season of coronavirus difficulty uh, can serve in some way to help push you uh, closer to the Lord, to help you strengthen your faith muscle uh, in a way that, that the more that you use it, the more that you trust God, the easier it is to trust God, the stronger your faith is. And so uh, if uh, you are experiencing those things, uh, ask yourself a couple of questions. Uh, how has your faith grown during this season of, of COVID-19? Uh, fear and sickness and separation and all of the things that have gone with it. How has your faith grown? Has it grown? And if it hasn't grown, uh, how can you uh, commit to uh, repenting from that that, that uh, refusal to trust God that you've experienced over the past couple of months? And how can you commit to taking steps to to strengthen and to grow your faith today? How can you uh, devote more time to uh, talking to God in prayer and hearing from Him uh, through reading His Word? How can you uh, commit to growing your faith? Uh, Would you commit to growing your faith during this season of adversity? And maybe you, uh, maybe you just need to reflect on some of the incredible things that God is doing in your life. 
maybe you uh, wouldn't identify yourself as a non-Christian who uh, needs to uh, receive God's offer of salvation today. Maybe you wouldn't identify yourself as someone who has uh, responded poorly in this season of adversity, but maybe uh, maybe like uh, the people who were there with Zechariah and Elizabeth, maybe like uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth, you need to uh, reflect on and acknowledge the ways that God has been good to you. Uh, just like the family did after John was born, they they remembered what God had done and they they talked about it and uh, it saturated their conversations as they uh, continued on just doing uh, normal life after they left that moment. Uh, God is always at work in our lives. And uh, as God is always at work in our lives, we always have something that we should be able and be willing to share with other people. Uh, God, if if we are, I, I am fully convinced of this. And if you disagree, uh, feel free to give me a call. We'll talk through it. But um, I fully and completely with all of my heart believe that if God is at work in our life, if God is 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 on the throne in your life in the way that that we as Christians are called to put him in that throne. Uh, if, if God is truly in that position and is truly working in our lives, we should always have something to tell someone else about. We should always have a Bible verse that is just uh, itching to be shared with somebody. We should always have a cool story of how God taught us something or how God uh, showed us grace and mercy in a, a time of difficulty. Uh, God is, if God is at work in us, man, that should explode out of us in the way that Zechariah's praise exploded out of him as he had acknowledged what God had done in his life. So uh, whatever that response is for you today, there's there's kind of different uh, takeaways depending on where you're at from today's message. But I believe that this passage has, it has something for all of us. And uh, if we will respond in faith, uh, God is able to do incredible things in our lives. Don't ignore what God is stirring in your heart uh, today. Uh, talk to someone on our team if you need to call and talk to someone on our team. Uh, church members, uh, talk with someone in your community group. Uh, seek the, the community that we have been encouraging and, and begging you guys to be involved in. Uh, don't just let this be something that kind of bubbles around in you for a few minutes and then you push it aside because it's lunchtime. Allow God to work in your life, to allow God to work in your heart in a way that that he makes a difference, that it changes something. So uh, don't ignore what God is trying to do in your heart this morning. Would you guys pray with me? God, we are so thankful for your word. We are thankful that, uh, God, that, that you work in mighty ways and that we uh, have so many reasons uh, to be thankful uh, to you this morning. So, God, we pray that as we uh, have heard from you, God, as we have looked at your word, God, we pray uh, that you would uh, convict us in the ways that we need to be convicted. God, that you would speak in our hearts uh, in the ways that we need to be spoken to. And God, uh, that we wouldn't just hear from you and shrug our shoulders and, and go about our day uh, today, but God, that you would work, that you would make a difference. God, that we would that, that we would open up our hands and, and let go of whatever it is that we're holding on to. And God, that you would be glorified as we obey what it is that you want from us today. God, help us to be obedient to what you've called us to do. And we pray that you would take our lives, that you would be pleased by them, uh, that you would use them. God, uh, use us for your work. And, and 
have your will in our hearts. God, have your will in my heart. So God, we, we give ourselves to you. We give uh, these words to you and we pray, God, that, that you would be glorified and that you would use them. Uh, we pray all this in Jesus' precious, beautiful, saving name that we pray. Amen.